better with that. A movies podcast hosted by a couple of friends from Philadelphia where we talk about the movies we like, the movies we don't like, and everything in between. Um, so today on this episode, we are finishing out our December, January-ish theme, which is cold movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before we get into my pick, um, I just want to check in with everybody. How we doing? See any cool movies? Watch any cool TV shows? What's going on? I saw one of my favorite movies of the year. Tell us about it. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Ooh, oh, yeah. I'm Why was it so good? For Christmas. Um, it's, I was telling you this earlier, Sam. It's like <laughs> the Justice League, <laughs> but with amazing writing and a great story where you have all of these new characters being introduced only one of which like the peter parker character you're familiar with but this is like a different peter parker and it all works because you have great writing great characters great acting uh visually it's unlike any movie i've ever seen it's so refreshing to have an animated movie trying not to be pixar trying to like do its own thing Hmm. Uh, i read that sony's actually going to patent the technology that they did to make this movie Hmm, cool um which is really cool um, Nick Cage as Spider-Man Noir made me just die in my seat every time he spoke. Every single line he said Excuse was hilarious. Me. I think when you explained it to me, you said... Piss myself. Yes. I did. It was so funny. Um, <laughs> the whole movie wasn't... You have to see it in theaters. Um, just like seeing it on a phone, like small screen, just really won't do it justice to how beautifully rendered every single scene is in the movie. Um, yeah, probably my favorite movie of the year so far. Yeah, I really want to see it. It looks wonderful. Plus, all the people who are in it, it's like a star study. And like cast. representation. True. So that's what I saw. Cool. Anyone else? I don't think I've seen anything new since last time. I saw Dial Code Santa Claus, but I just talked about that in the Christmas episode. So. <laughs> yeah, Sam. I just saw Die Hard and also covered that. <laughs> Um, but you, I was supposed to see the favorite last night oh, and then yeah. we ended up not going, but I think I'm seeing it tomorrow now. Cool. I'm going to yeah. try to see it tomorrow too. Yeah. Oh. I'm excited. Um, I watched a classic, the mummy recently. <laughs> um, and you know what? <laughs> Sam, was this your first time seeing the mummy? <laughs> was this your 12th time seeing the mummy? <laughs> no, it was definitely like, <laughs> I've seen that movie like over a hundred times. Uh, 100%. But I was thinking the whole time, if I could just have everyone in life dress like Brendan Fraser in that movie, like, it, what more can you want? The the boots up to the knee, the, like, kind of, like, smooth pants, the, like, button-down shirt, but also, like, the gun holster, like, he's wearing, like... The suspender the, thing? Like a steampunk reality? Sure. <laughs> sure, but, like, with less, like, the weird metal animals. I like how you said boots. Boots? <laughs> you just want boots. Boots! Like super- <laughs> Brendan Fraser boots. Boots. Um, I agree. I think that's a good look. Yeah. Yeah. But also, like, the hair. It's like the 90s boy band hair, like the Leonardo DiCaprio of the 90s. It's mm. nice. Is that the, the hair everyone should have? 90s boy band hair? Yeah. Mm. No if, frosted tips. What if we all came in to record and we were dressed? That would be the best day of my life. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very low bar. <laughs> Would it just be you two? <laughs> Are we all going for this? Everybody. Okay, sure. All a team butter. Yeah. Even Jordy. Put Jordy in a little, Aww. in a little like adventure suit. Costume. I feel like Jordy deserves better. Probably. She's already perfect. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, I saw Food Fight again. No, oh, no, no, no. Dave, why? Uh, because someone in the house hadn't seen it, and. Um, <laughs> I don't feel like that's a good enough reason, Dave. <laughs> so food fight, we're going to talk about food. At some point, we're going to talk about food fight. After you Ready Player One. You almost made us watch it for your um, animated. It is the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> ever. And that's that. Um, but I've seen, it, I've seen it three times now. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to talk about it at some point. I'm sure uh, it probably winding up being one of our bonus feature episodes. We'll all watch it together. And then uh, I'm sure all and four cry. of you will walk off the project. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to willingly watch You're like, it. I, nev- I never want to see a movie ever again. We're going to do Food Fight and that's that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's terrible. Um, you can watch it on YouTube. We should do a script reading of Food Fight. There's... Uh, no? The animation... Get a hold the of... script kind of doesn't matter. It's the, it's the fact that the animation is poor enough that it makes your eyes hurt and your stomach upset. Ooh. Great! I love movies like that. It's uh, it's a sensory assault. Food like fight. Avatar 3D. 
Sensory assault. <laughs> Is that was that the subtitle? I don't think I can think of another animated film that that this could compare to. It's it, it really is that bad. Wow. You know what? I just want to go back to Avatar in 3D for one second because I went to see that in 3D at like 10 p.m. when it came out. And the theater was packed. And in the middle of the movie, this woman got a phone call. She answered it and started talking on the phone. So I feel like I would have similar feelings to watching Food Fight. Just like that like rage, that white hot rage. Mm. Of just like not. Are you gonna see the next Avatar and the next Avatar and the next Avatar? I just remember going to see that movie and it like I I had a headache the whole movie. I was like, I've been to a 3D movie, I know what it's about, and this is like, just fuck off, James Cameron. Yeah, also just fuck off, James Cameron. Has anyone else here seen the Papyrus SNL sketch with Ryan Gosling? Yes. Okay. Oh my gosh. I just recently watched it, and it's all just about like Ryan Gosling being upset that no one gets that Avatar's font was just papyrus, (laughs) (laughs) and And he's like haunted by this fact. (laughs) When you, it's the best. Good sketch. It's a really good sketch. Oh my god. It's so great. Yeah. Ryan he, like, Gosling is amazing. By in the last shot and he like, he drives by the person in charge. <laughs> cool. Great. Yep. He's like, it's like ruining his like marriage and it's it's the best oh thing. God. Yeah, it's I've amazing. I've never heard of this. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I think it like uh broaches a larger discussion about the use of papyrus as a font and as a design. We um, we have a, a bar in our neighborhood and no one knows what the name of the bar is because we all refer to it as the Comic Sans bar. Oh no. Because it's Comic Sans <laughs> font and it's just enraging every single time I go by that bar. And the, yeah, the bar's name is like It's Address. And so... Yeah, like, it's, it's just It's Address, but it's in mm-hmm. fucking papyrus... Not papyrus, fuck. It's in Comic, Comic Sans, Sans and it's horrible. <laughs> Oh, you know, I know everybody hates Comic Sans, but once I did a project in like seventh or eighth grade um, and it was a um, like a like a brochure of Egypt, um, but it was done. (laughs) This is so bad. I was too old for this. Um, But the brochure was told from like Scooby-Doo's perspective and I wrote everything in Comic Sans. (laughs) I submitted that for an actual grade. But Sam, (laughs) in seventh and eighth grade, I feel like you're still it's still fine to use Comic Sans, you know, if you said this is like. Last month, <laughs> I might have to walk off no, the project. I mean, presented a project at work, and all of it was in comics. Yeah, this was like definitely 2003, 2004. So I submitted my slack. thesis for grad school <laughs> in comic sans. I think you'd floor the department if your thesis was like from the perspective of Scooby Doo, and it was like some like critique of were you what what major were you? Me? Like, yeah. actually? Yeah. Unmasking amusement Un- park villains. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so it's actually been very apropos. <laughs> They'd be like, we've never seen anything like this ever. Yeah. Well, anyway, that existed in the world at one point. Oh, that's cute. Do you still have that? No. Like, is that buried God, somewhere? No, that is dead. In some. Well, who knows? Who knows? Um, Dave, it's framed more you wanted to say house. about Food Fight? <laughs> oh, my goodness, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not, not yet. We are going to talk about it someday. Every time you say it, I just feel like it's a threat. <laughs> it, it, it is. It is. Like every time I'm like, oh. Um, it's a horrible <laughs> like reminder it's that death and food fight are coming. Death, taxes, food fight. Goddamn. Well, actually, that's kind of appropriate for the movie we're going to talk about oh, next, yeah. which oh, is hey. my cold pick, Snowpiercer, um, because of snow and yeah, Sam, why, why is it a cold movie? Yeah, why? <laughs> um, well, for those of you who, who have watched Snowpiercer, which is everyone in this room, um, I think saying snow and cold mm. work. Um, so Great argument. <laughs> fair. I mean, fair. truly. We were like, oh, let's do cold. And my mind went, snow. Um, but <laughs> anyway. Snow day, snow piercer. Well, there's more I can say. Um, So basically, just like a brief, brief plot synopsis is the world is ending because of climate change, which (laughs) 
It is. And um, to stop climate change, they decide to release um, CW7 into the world, into the atmosphere. And it works, but then it has this disastrous effect of like freezing everything. So the world is ending and it whittles down to this one forever train that is doing one <laughs> forever loop. train. Yeah, I mean, um, doing one loop around the like basically the whole world. It takes a full year to do. Um, and it I, I think that it happens in like 2014 and the story picks up 17 years later. Mm hmm. And then um, so so that's like the background and the the plot is, is that people who are from the tail of the train who are like treated like absolute garbage revolt against the people who are in the front of the train. And you follow that story. Um, Captain America stuck on this train. He sure is. He sure is. Mm -hmm. um, to be honest with you, I did not think that the first Chris Evans movie I would bring to the group would be Snowpiercer, but Agreed. it is what it is. You know? Technically, you could have done Winter Soldier for, for oh, Cold Fuck. I could have. <laughs> I could have. Well, that movie is coming for a different reason, so, you know. Down it's, it's coming. That and it's... Food Fight. <laughs> <laughs> Just what threats. A right future we have. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, so in typical butter with that format, so we're gonna go into the trailer. <laughs> I forgot our own format. To the trailer, <laughs> and then to the reviews, and then we'll have a chat about the movie. So, who did the trailer? That was that was I. Oh, Christine. Um. Yeah. So the. The trailer was an interesting watch. Uh, I've seen the movie, but um, I thought the trailer did an interesting sort of, um, it, it played with perspectives throughout. Like a lot of the cuts are just like intense forward momentum. The momentum of the train whipping through this like cold Arctic landscape and all the snow. So lots of snow in the trailer. So it's cutting to the outside of the train that's going really fast and then cuts on the inside of the train or cuts to the inside of the train when you see Chris Evans and um, like all of the ha inhabitants of that tail car um like octavia spencer jamie bell is that so name? yeah his name is jamie bell but also can we talk about he and tom holland are identical they, they are they identical are. humans yes. so jamie bell maybe tom holland who knows and <laughs> jamie bell, definitely. It, it, like you see them really like fighting their way through the train and then you see all of like the antagonists tilda swinton doing like mm -hmm. her she's got like like fake front teeth and then she looks kind of like Margaret Thatcher. I don't know what's going on with that. <laughs> There's but a little like, Thatcher. Yeah, she, yeah she's like, uh, we must all occupy our preordained position. And then you cuts back to like all of the tail car fighters like trying to get through um, and essentially Chris Evans staging a revolution to take down this train, take control of the engine. Um, but a lot of the action on the inside, it's very sort of confining. A lot of the perspectives are like the viewer in this trailer is like with the action. You see Chris Evans and um, you're like, you feel like it's giving you a slice of like being a part of this collective action as they're like finding their way forward. Um, and then cuts to like the darkness of the trail, of the tail car, and then the brightness and lightness of like... Um, the other cars, like these well-dressed school children, all like learning from uh, Allison Pill, whose role is so good as the like, mm -hmm. teacher. Um, and then of like the uh, other cars where the um, bourgeoisie is, you know, in their sauna or whatever. But then the final cut, the final scene is um, from the like as if the viewer were on the ground looking up at Chris Evans and he just takes an axe and just hacks at the, essentially hacks at the screen, which I think was a really cool way to like construct a trailer. Cause Sam's you're like, excited. you're like, Oh, all right. <laughs> Throughout the whole trailer, you're like, all right, I'm with, like, I, I know the team I'm rooting for. And then all of a sudden the final perspective is like, wait, is this movie going to like blow my mind? Like, and, like shatter everything. I think I know about like what this movie is about. So I thought it was like, am I the antagonist in this movie? Yeah. Anyhow. <laughs> Oh, I thought it was really cool. Um, so well <laughs> done trailer. Definitely worth a watch, even though I've seen it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. Fair enough. Um, Christine, you brought up something, and I think it's a question that we've asked in every one of our episodes before this, which is, does the snow look real? <laughs> and I think the Was answer there real is... real snow? <laughs> no. It no. does not. It does not. Wow. What year did this movie come out? 2015? 
Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. 14, yeah, something like that. 14, 15. Yeah. What, what year college was It's like? definitely like day after tomorrow snow. Yeah. Like, mm. agreed. Like looking very cold, but CGI snow. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. All right. Thanks, Christine. Yeah, a lot of Chris Evans' face. Perfect. What else do you need? A lot of close ups. Beard or no beard, Chris Evans? Deaf beard. Take a vote. Beard? Or beard. are you saying yeah. which oh, one? Like that you prefer? Like which yeah. we prefer? Beard. Beard. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Sam. Any way Chris Evans decides to look is exactly how I prefer him. So you know, I I just want to put this out there. You hear that, Chris? Right. <laughs> I, I've loved this man for a very long time, so I'm not going to be unbiased in this discussion whatsoever. Um, one thing that's kind of interesting, also about Chris Evans being in this movie, he was almost not cast because he was. Uh, so physically fit mm-hmm. they were originally going to cast someone who um who looked more emaciated given the part that they were coming oh. from an uprising of a malnourished lower class right if they'd been subsisting on the little that's like, interesting yeah so they had to like they had to shoot it things. a little differently and like frame it a little differently his, his shots and things like that and compose it in such a way that he didn't appear to be captain america the straight up hulk uh, <laughs> hunk rather that is uh that is chris evans yeah I think if if my memory is serving me correctly, which is probably not because it never does, and I'm also sick, but I think that because Chris Evans had such a, a thick, full beard, um, when they were doing like reshoots for Avengers, there's like this uh, scene at the very end where they're all eating shawarma, and Cap has like his face totally blocked from the camera. He's as a matter of fact has his hand oh, in front of it. Someone told me that. Mm-hmm. And it's because they put like a, a prosthetic over Chris's beard, and it looked fucking terrible. So they were like, "No, we'll just we'll just we'll just do one of those." They didn't Henry Cavill it and spend a yeah. million dollars photoshopping a mustache out of a movie. God damn. Joss Whedon was Christ. like, "I have to do these reshoots. I have to do it." Wait, is it because he had his mustache for MI6? Yes. 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 It's exactly. It's a million dollar mustache. That is a million dollar mustache. Well, plus <laughs> the millions that were spent in legal procedures between Warner's and Paramount. And Paramount won out with the mustache because Warner's like, you got to save this mustache because we're doing Justice League. Do you Paramount think was like, in the middle of you. that, anyone was like, um, excuse me, this is the dumbest fucking thing in the world that we're talking about right now? <laughs> what I want to see so bad is the um, unedited footage of yeah. Superman with a mustache against I... green screens or whatever. One day that footage will emerge and it will be glorious. Yeah, Superman sure with the mustache. Here's something about that. We're totally off the rails now. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, oh, no. I know that they had to take like a six month break filming MI6 because um, what's his face? Tom Cruise like broke his ankle. So like, but didn't film. he like run and do shit yeah. still with a broken uh-huh. ankle? You see yeah. the shot where he broke he his ankle. Do. In the yeah, they used it. Mm-hmm. What an insane Wait, what human! It's when he jumps from like building to building, and his ankle. God, this is great for the audio format. He his <laughs> the front of his foot hits a wall and then bends backwards, yeah. shattering his ankle. Oh. Wow. Um, it's in the trailer. Yeah, and then he like continued to run on it, and everyone was like, ooh. No, no, no. Because commitment. He's, he's committed. He is art. literally insane. Yeah. I don't know what his art is, but he's committed to it. I love yes. Henry Cavill, the fact that he's not only got the mustache, but he's got this like great five o'clock shadow going mm-hmm. on in addition. It's like, you really didn't give a fuck, did you? It's too <laughs> like, bad that he kind of sucks as a human. I know. It, do, it just, does ooh, he, it does, does suck. He suck. Yeah, he yeah. said some shitty things about the Me Too movement, mm. which, okay, definitely off the rails. However, his was like, you know, this movement makes me feel uncomfortable because my advances could be seen as like, I'm going to rape somebody. But Idris Elba oh, just I was said, just going to say, yeah, oh, I've been yeah, on yeah, an Idris, his... Idris kick lately. Oh my God, he's he, a he nailed it with that. Right. Yeah, basically he was like, a good man has nothing, nothing to, to worry, worry from the Me Too movement. And I was like, what a fucking treasure he is yeah. to the yeah. planet. <laughs> like, he's the best. <laughs> um, Not to cut that discussion short, <laughs> but to come back to Snowpiercer and to Chris Evans. Um, God, how did we get here? Um, okay, so that was the trailer. <laughs> um, Tori, reviews. Me. Um, I've also seen the movie and watched the trailer of this movie because I feel like I remember the trailer specifically sticking with me, um, specifically some of Tilda Swinton stuff in it because it's really good. Um, so I thought it was interesting because I, I just I'm going to pull up the stuff on my phone. Um, I thought it was interesting how like well it did based on like Rotten Tomatoes and stuff like the critics. It was like 94 percent um, and then audience was lower. It was like 72 percent. Um 
because I went with people who like I loved it and they made me feel like I was the odd person out for mm. loving it um, and like just like shitting on a bunch of stuff. So I was like, oh, maybe this isn't a movie that people like. And then I read this and I felt very validated. Yeah, like fuck those people I was with. That was a dope movie. <laughs> um, what I think is funny, Rotten Tomatoes at the very top has a critic consensus that they've written. And I don't know how they would come up with this as the consensus, but it just says Snowpiercer offers an audaciously ambitious action spectacular for filmgoers numb to effects-driven blockbusters. And I was like, how is how did they come up with that as the consensus from, like, multiple people? True. They got Do the, not understand. Um, Botnik Studios, the people that did the Harry Potter chapter, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, by putting it into auto-text machine. Yeah. <laughs> Do the computations. Oh my come God, up I forgot with a about those. little pithy statement yeah. about this movie. <laughs> Um, so uh, they like critics across the board. It got like really good stuff. One of them says it was like surprisingly experimental in tone and character and like felt like it was very different from a lot of things that people were seeing, which was kind of cool. But they also do mention that it fits in with like the Hunger Games kind of like um, Mm -hmm. dystopian type things that were like very popular at the time and are still pretty popular now, too. Um, You know, Rolling Stones liked it. Um it's like an exceptional sci-fi thriller. So it just got like tons of good stuff. So I was trying to find bad stuff. Cause like all the good stuff was like, yes, like it looks great. The story is so interesting. Like it's relevant. So, um, some of the ones that I found were funny were, um, Steve Erickson, uh, said Snowpiercer would clearly like to be contemporary equivalent to Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, but it's closer to a better directed version of Neil Blockham's sci-fi dud from last year, Elysium. And I was like, <laughs> okay, sure. Oh, Elysium's well, so bad. Well, he said it was Matt a better Damon. directed. That's what I've heard. <laughs> That's true. He did say it was like a little better. <laughs> Um, violence always involves moral questions and the decision whether to take up armed struggle lies at the heart of the revolutionary movements, but the film does not take these concerns at all seriously, which I thought was an interesting critique. And I don't know what he means by that. Yeah, me too. Like they didn't take like the, the seriousness of it seriously. Like I, yeah, I don't, yeah, Hmm. I don't understand totally what that means. You said his name is Steve Erickson? Um, that one was Anwen Crawford (laughs) from Monthly Australia. Oh. Hmm. Um, I want to write to her. Can you just explain to me this review you wrote like four years ago? I know, right? <laughs> like some people said, like, you know, it's unpleasant and inhuman, um, like just like weird, like off. Yeah. Uh, one, one person said one of the biggest problems is the train setting. We're supposed to be in constant motion, but half the shots are entirely still. <laughs> it's like it's a movie. So this person also doesn't really have an understanding of like, velocity and... <laughs> Did I mention she's from, like, Canada Times? Like, what? I want to be like, ma'am, excuse me. That's so great, though. I but, love like, that. It was, it was hard to find, like, you know, I, what I felt were very, very valid, like, reasons that certain people didn't like it. They seemed to be very kind of silly or, like, yeah, maybe, picky. like, overly critical. Um, I think the tone critique is an interesting one, though, that could be argued. I think it is hard to evaluate or, like, to mm-hmm. understand what tone the the movie strikes um agreed there are tones of like comedy and tones of mm-hmm. extreme drama yeah mm-hmm. absolutely. extreme violence yeah which mm-hmm. we were talking about this too because i want to talk I, if people are interested in talking more in depth about kind of this is like a pretty you know standard story about like class struggle mm-hmm. um and so many of them like do find interesting way to do it but like i like that this one is a visual one where it's literally like trains in a car mm-hmm. but um christine and i on the way here are talking about a similar movie called high rise i was gonna say yeah is that with the, what's that. his face tom, tom hiddleston? hiddleston yeah and so it's like the people on the bottom floor are poor and don't get the same treatment as like people on the top floor of this mean, high like, rise yeah <laughs> but like <laughs> it was interesting i like this idea of like the visuals of it i think are very yeah. interesting and like i remember as soon as i heard like high, high rise i was like Oh, yeah, that sounds kind of like Snowpiercer a little bit. Um, but I guess, like, that is a good way to, like, really put that point across about, like, the differences. It's like a structural metaphor for class hierarchy, basically. Yeah, right. yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, literally structural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the physical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, 
so I guess let's get into it. Um, so I did already give like a brief plot synopsis. What I will say is that this was based off of a graphic novel, mm-hmm. um, which, God, how, what does this make of Chris Evans doing movies based off like comics and graphic oh, novels? Yeah. That's, that's a lot. So it's kind of interesting that he he tends to fall into those kind of roles. He does a great job in those. Um, but anyway, so Connor, tell me what you thought about Snowpiercer. This is the, I just watched it last night. This was the second time I saw it. Uh, my friend and I really wanted to see it, but it was at a theater hundreds of miles away, which you, your similar story. Yeah. Um, I So it was playing in Williamsport, which is like far away from here, but I drove to see it in Williamsport with my mom. Shout out to you, Maria. Bless. <laughs> um, so my old roommate and I in college, we wanted to see this movie, so we just streamed it online. So it was nice to like see in like HD on like <laughs> um, a big screen. It definitely made me appreciate the visuals of the movie more and like the and I think tone kind of goes in line with like, the different kinds of cars that are in the train. Oh, interesting um, point. Because hmm. the movie, what I noticed this time watching was it kind of ch- changes in the second half where the first half is like streamlined, sort of like Chris Evans doesn't want to be the leader. People kind of want him to be the leader. Uh, Edgar, who is played by Jamie Bell, is like... Or Tom Holland. Uh, or Tom Holland. Uh, is like, should we rebel now? Should we not rebel now? He doesn't want to be the leader. So it's kind of the struggle of like, what does it mean to be a leader? And does Chris Evans, Captain America, Everett? What was his last name? Uh, Curtis Everett. Curtis Everett. Um, like, what does it mean to be a leader? Does he want to be a leader? And then about halfway through the movie, it kind of focuses on being a survival story of trying to just like him being fish out of water trying to understand what is this world talked about mentioned um the kids like learning in class that's probably like the biggest tonal shift in the movie Um, because it's just a whole train so you just move from car to car to car so they want to move from the back to take over the engines that way they can control um the train because there's been past revolutions but they never made it all the way to the engine Mm -hmm. and they've all kind of fallen apart failed i -hmm. liked that scene especially too because it didn't it wasn't these like just dy- like a dystopian structure in which the first 15 minutes of the movie are is solely exposition all right we must explain it, there is a little bit of it at the beginning of the movie it's about two and like, a half sure. minutes of that it, okay yeah. yes 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 mm. yes but like besides that you kind of jump right in the story and it's really not until the scene in the school in the classroom that you get a fuller sense of really like what happened with those previous revolutions mm-hmm. and what is the ca- train's response to those previous revolutions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you start piecing together a lot of the puzzles that you're, you're as a, you as a viewer are trying to like figure out. Yeah. And also how all of humanity has existed in that 17 years since mm. the CW seven. So like, Oh, they're continuing to educate. They have a school. Like it's, it's fascinating to see that that's like a focus. Mm-hmm. I think, in the back of my mind, this movie always, first time I watched it and the second time was like, I just want to know more about this world. Right. And I feel like that was the, I was definitely really invested in kind of like the first half of the movie. But then once it does switch gears to, well, now the pace picks up. Mm-hmm. Now, instead of car by car, it feels like they're going, they're skipping 10 cars. And then you see them again. Mm-hmm. It's like, do the because there's this like orgy club, like people getting high kind of mm-hmm. like two cars and it's like do the kids have to walk through that every day <laughs> there's like this big sauna room that this really cool fight ta- uh fight takes place that i would not be surprised um is inspired by empire strikes back with a uh, luke and uh, darth vader's fight hmm. like all the mists and the yellow and the lights mm-hmm. do the kids have to walk through that every day like if people just trying to do their job i just want to know more about the world like mm-hmm. are there 30 cars that are like where people's apartments are and like how do they look like compared to how the people in the back of the train look mm-hmm. like. Yeah. So it kind of reminded me of Hunger's Game of you just see like everybody's really fucking poor sure. except for like the first district. Mm-hmm. So I would just like to just learn a little more, which is, I guess, like a good criticism of like. Yeah. But don't you think the point is to keep you in the dark as much as the people in the tail are? Mm-hmm. Because. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Because something I thought about as I was watching it is, OK, so when they're going further and further, like through the train, they have no idea what's behind mm-hmm. the door. And so like one of the characters is clairvoyant and so she'll be like she he's running or whatever um but they they have no idea what's behind these doors so i think a part of it is like you're experiencing it for the first time just as our heroes Mm -hmm. or our leaders are and there this is like an entire class of people that have been relegated to like they're eating like semi-gelatinous like bars for food Mm -hmm. so like 
by the time they get as far as like say like middle class or upper middle class passengers and they're seeing like prepared meals and things mm-hmm. sushi. for some people it's the first time for some people on that train hypothetically it's the first time they're seeing anything like that right mm-hmm. exactly yeah so i think that's a valid criticism but it's also like for a point too yeah but i, I can like see like the... just those questions coming up you know because oh, i'm yeah. also that person that's always like but I want to know about this thing and this thing and, like, how it functions totally. And, like, you know, I know sometimes I just have to kind of, like, accept those, like, things that, like, never get explained or, like, mm-hmm. plot holes and stuff sure. like that. But, like, like yeah, I think, like, those things always come up in, like, these types of, like, dystopian worlds. Like, how does this actually function on <laughs> yeah. a day-to-day? Yeah. I mean, I thought it when uh, they show, like, the spa scene where mm-hmm. people are getting, like, their tongues done or whatever. I was like, ew, would I have to walk through that? Yeah, <laughs> I think there was definitely a point at which in that movie I had to accept that like, all right, so much is just like serving an allegorical purpose, mm-hmm. and I need sure. to like embrace that it as it is, and then like, n- like I did also desired those details mm-hmm. of the actual like practicalities and day to day logistics yeah. of inhabiting this train, mm-hmm. but also like I think a lot of the the tone is just very allegorical, and like you get. A lot explained to you, which is helpful. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's such a good point. And so, like, the two big things I wanted us to talk about tonight, which um, sort of why I picked this film, is one, it is like post apocalyptic, but I feel like there are so many similarities to things that are happening today. And then, <laughs> yes, yeah. you know, God. and then on the other hand, is the the biggest reason why I picked this movie not just because it fit our cold theme, but because <laughs> no. of the because of the fight scenes. I yeah. think some of the mm. strongest scenes. I mean, the whole film is basically a fight scene, but um, there are two in particular that I just think are like visually stunning and then really get you pumped because the music also plays like an incredible part. So, um, but 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 to to go back to my first point, which was. Do you feel like it has so many so many similarities today? Um, two things that I wanted to bring up and kind of get your opinions on. So, there's a scene where um, the like the police come into the tale and they're like, "Oh, is anyone a violinist here?" And you know, one person raises their hand and they have a go between, and he's like, "No, I'm not going to do it." And the police start beating up on this person's wife um, and the other person, and it like was seemingly out of like nowhere and it was just some person like disagreeing after like a small argument and for me it like reminded me of the story everyone heard recently about that mother who um um i wrote her name down let me get it right um jasmine he jasmine headley um who was basically just sitting on the floor of like a um just like a a nutrition office and uh she had like words with a security guard someone called the police and she was like with her like son in her arms the police came ripped her son out of her arms like basically beat her up and then put her in jail and then like because it was filmed um everyone saw it and they retweeted it and everything like that and i think like the attorney general in new york was like no we need to get this woman out of there because she didn't do anything but it reminded me so much of that and i was wondering if you guys saw like any other similarities between like this apocalyptic universe and ours i mean yeah (laughs) but i feel like that's just like like Yes, like, you know, where things are right now in the world, I feel like we're all kind of feeling like we're on the verge of that. Um, I think it also, um, there are so many other things like this that are super relevant, like now, like Handmaid's Tale being a big thing, and even ones like Westworld and stuff like that, that like, you know, Westworld's older, but it's still kind of feeling relevant too, and like... You know, I think, like, it's all kind of, like, relevant and people can find, like, you know, these common themes that feel very close to home in all of them. But I think it's interesting which ones people get attached to. Mm. Um, Because I remember, like, I read Handmaid's Tale, like, right after Trump had won and that, like, hit real close to home for me because I was like, yes, as a woman, I feel like everything is over Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I'm being attacked right now. Um, But, yeah, like, it's interesting which one of those stories, like, people, like, get attached to the most with these, like, dystopian worlds that they're creating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Something else I thought about was, Christine, you brought up this scene when they are in the school. And so... Basically, you're witnessing this rewriting of history and like this like 
putting Wilford up on this pedestal. Wilford is the person who like created this forever train. It actually has a name. I wrote it down. Hold on. It is the... Uh, I like Forever Train. Forever <laughs> Train. Rattling Ark. So mm-hmm. it's called the Rattling Ark. Um, and so they like basically... Is the train not called the Snowpiercer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for branding, Rattling Ark, Ark right? doesn't yeah. seem like it's a very um, stable train. Yeah, I would immediately have questions. Branding head. Sorry. What do you want me to get into? Excuse me? <laughs> this old rattling train. It's the train of the future. I would talk to uh, Bong Joon Ho about that. He's the one who directed this film, which mm-hmm. was like amazing. But again, it's based off the graphic novel, so maybe there's some. Did anyone here uh, read the graphic novel? No. I wanted now. to, but it wasn't at the library. Okay. Yeah. I was interested because I've heard it's very good also, and I was wondering if anyone knew like some of the bigger differences and whatnot. Uh, he also directed Okja and The Host. Oh, oh, I haven't seen host. either, but like I know a lot of people liked Okja a lot. I could talk about The Host for a long time. Um, but anyway, what were we just talking about? The classroom scene. Oh, right, right, right. The classroom scene. Um, so basically, you're like witnessing this rewriting of history and putting Wilfred up on this pedestal. And like, honestly, it felt like I was in social studies class mm. again, like being in elementary school and hearing that Christopher Columbus discovered America and it's all really great and blah, 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 blah. Mm. So you're like completely invalidating all of these histories. You're telling history from like the, the winner's perspective. And using the revolution, like the previous revolutions as cautionary tales, like the kids all look out the window and mm-hmm. they see the like icy snowy figures of the, the like the previous yeah, the um, revolt, revolt of the seven. Re- yeah. And being like, this is what happens when you try to like cause an imbalance in this whole ecosystem. It's like and they're like, you will die if you go outside. And so you see these kids just repeating and reiterating the these like messages that mm-hmm. the song. Yeah. Oh yeah. They have this great culty song. Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. I also want to give a shout out to Allison Pill, who plays the teacher. She is such a great actress, and she's another one who like pops up in movies and like just is such a good performer. And I want to see more f- like from her. Mm-hmm. I don't know what she's up to these days, but yeah, she was one of my favorite characters in that movie. Yeah. How does everybody feel about the twist? As in Ed Harris wants... So Ed Harris, Curtis. Man in Black in Westworld. Connection there. Who is Wilford? Who is Wilford? Um, him and John... We haven't talked about John Hurt's character, right? Oh, John Hurt is someone who oh. pops up randomly for me. When you, we uh, In the yeah. Christmas episode, we talked about like Funko figures... Uh, and I would really want a John Hurt Funko figure from Snowpiercer. This like umbrella arm because he like lost yeah. limbs oh, and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, we can get into that if we want to. Oh, um, okay. But the idea John, of I don't know if we have time because I don't know like if the movie like this like needed a twist of like Ed Harris Wilford the guy at the running the engine of the train has been working with John Hurt's character Gilliam Gillen yeah Gilliam, Gilliam. Uh, in the back of the train to coordinate these revolutions so that way they can do population control. Mm-hmm. Um. Because they keep kind of saying a few times throughout the movie, oh, 74% of you will die because of this revolution. Because mm-hmm. they have to keep a balance between um, the number of people who are on the train. And so every couple of years, they orchestrate a revolution. So that way they can kill off, you know, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of people who are on the back of the train. Mm-hmm. So how does everybody kind of feel about that twist being in this movie? I don't know. I feel like that's a thing that you also see in so many different dystopian things mm-hmm. where it's just like you know, kind of different degrees of the same thing. And I always like them and I think they're smart. And also at the end of the day, I'm always just like, oh God, this is depressing. You know, like we even (laughs) just talked about the Twilight Zone and like Black Mirror being such a big thing now too. And every single time I watch one of those things, I'm like, oh fuck, this is too real. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Of course, there's no happy ending here. It's not going to get fixed. (laughs) But I think a recurring theme throughout the movie is is, uh, cycles. Uh, Cycles, rotations Mm -hmm. the train takes. Cycles Mm -hmm. of... Um, like revolutions and <clears throat> attempts to like overthrow like uh, like oppressive structures and try to gain some like sense of like like power um, f- you know try to yeah dismantle systems of of, of oppression 
Um, and the twist is like, oh, we, we orchestrated this, so you know, you all could have your little revolution, but in fact, it was it's really self-serving. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but the ultimate twist is, is, I feel like, the complete destruction of the train, and mm -hmm. ultimately... Um, the final characters stepping outside of the train and saying we're stopping this cycle and this rotation mm. um, and that the ultimate, like, this revolution create, it was in service of change, but the ultimate real change was stepping outside of, like, mm. the, the train itself. And. And it's like the true twist is when you see the polar bear, right? Right, Because exactly. like it establishes oh, that like, oh, yeah. life can it's unlivable yeah. out there. And then when they finally go out, they see that this whole time, the maintenance of this class hierarchy and order has been basically a, an elaborate fiction preventing mm -hmm. them from... Uh, you know, kind of real autonomy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me of, um, what is it? Is it Serenity? When they like think that air is poisonous in that space and it's like totally fine. Oh man, uh, yeah, Serenity is a really good movie. Oh my God, it's from I'm ashamed. The... I've seen Serenity and I really yes, and yeah. I love Firefly. Oh fuck, I can't yeah. even remember mm -hmm. what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, there's this like crazy twist where it's like there's like you know they're like told all these things about like why like the world is the way it is, and then you find out like it's all just kind of been a lie. So it's like kind of that same thing of like ah, well, like we've just kind of all accepted that this is like what's going on, and realizing that's like you know. Everyone like, being brainwashed. <laughs> it's something that's not uncommon in films, I think. Um, but is always, depending on how it's presented, is, is generally usually a pretty thoughtful thing. Is the notion that um, the the status quo, you know, the established framework and foundation of the film, um, is predicated on the lie that the pain that it causes is necessary. Um, mm -hmm. Which I think is really uh, kind of the big. I guess the big twist, if there is a twist in this film at the end. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that's something that's really incredible. And I'm so glad that they like did it in the movie is um, so Ed Harris basically says, Curtis, I want you to take my place. I'm old. Someone has to keep the engine running. Keep this thing going. Will you do it? And like you actually see Curtis being like, I think I'm going to do it. Oh, yeah. I he considers it. Yeah, he does. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a, a big moment where he's like, he pushes the girl away and he's like, this is mine now. And I think the only reason why he comes back to sense, I guess, is because she realizes where Timmy, Octavia Spencer's son, mm -hmm. yeah. is, where he's actually become a part of the, the train. Yeah. Oh, that was... Yeah, like yeah. brainwashed kids. Like small children uh, in like extremely cramped and dangerous quarters servicing an active train, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. God. Who are like brainwashed. Right. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Before we get into like favorite scenes, I want to bring up Tilda Swinton for a minute. Sure. Um, because when I like first started, when I first watched this movie, I saw that her character was originally supposed to be male, but then they put Tilda Swinton. And so mm -hmm. there's one line in there where they're mm -hmm. like, here you go, sir. And it, like, they just kept it in there. Her character's name is like Minister Mason. So it's really interesting that she sort of plays this androgynous character. Um, Tilda's so good at that. Yeah, yeah, she really <laughs> is. She plays a similar character in Okja where she's the head of this like, like meat corporations like the future of meat and it's a very very similar in um in uh, Suspiria which just came out she um is like the head like witch in it but she also has an appearance as like an old man in another scene too oh, yeah, so it's like cool. try to keep that a yeah. secret and then she's like oh my secret's out yeah, I am the, uh -huh. the old man and I'm just wearing a ton of prosthetics <laughs> but it's like that's like kind of kind of her thing which I love so much <laughs> Yeah, I think that this is one instance of, like, where putting Tilda Swinton in, like, an androgynous character role works really well. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, I think, maybe not including Oakja, but in Doctor Strange, where, like, she yeah. faced some pushback. Because, yeah, you're putting this, like, um, like female actor into a role that was supposed to be for a man but you're also taking a role away from a person of like like mm. a, a minority actor yep. right mm -hmm. so I, like i couldn't help but think about that controversy mm. and how often we see that in films like this i think of like scarlett johansson and how like she's come yep. under fire quite a bit for taking roles away from minority mm -hmm. actors um but any other thoughts about tilda's character she's my favorite part of the whole movie say more about that like why I think just her, she was just kind of like yucking it up, like kind of hamming it up. I thought it was just like a great contrast to the like Octavia Spencer 
Chris Evans of this kind of like realistic, like people struggling to survive dirty, poor eating these like bug made protein bars. Oh yeah. Um, and I think just her, I thought that was the best example of like the harsh contrast of how like the other half lives. Mm-hmm. I thought that was best that idea. Mm-hmm. And that theme was best um, exemplified through her character. And like at the end of the day, like she'll turn um, Wilford in like she'll, she just wants to survive. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't really have any principles. And I felt yeah. like that was, I think what the movie was trying to do at its best with her character. What was with this when she took her teeth out and she said like she was appealing to Curtis not to kill her. She takes her teeth out. She goes, Curtis. I was like, what's it's real gross. I it think was... she was trying to just be like, I'm helpless. Mm. That's what I thought. But I was like, am I just like missing the point of that? And then also the fish in the fight scene. And like they take that large fish, they like cut it down the belly. Yeah, so the best I think the best scene in the movie is the um <clears throat> this like two car fight between mm. like the people they're wearing like black masks, but their eyes are covered. I don't know how they see, but their mouths are exposed. And then they are like the um group who's trying to kill the rebels mm. who are trying mm-hmm. to make it forward. And they start the scene with just like they have this like big was a catfish or something. Mm-hmm. They like cut it down the middle with an axe and then just like put blood in it and they pass it around. I think it's just to show like waste of how they like they don't mind like wasting this thing. Mm-hmm. But then also it seems like that the people want to focus on like balance. So I don't know if that's just like an administrative idea and the n- people who are in the front don't care about balance. Mm-hmm. So I think it was just to show like waste of like oh we're going to drench our axes in this fish blood because you are the f- about to be because you are the fish for mm-hmm. slaughter. And I also thought it might have been Christine, like one of those like moments of comedy you were sort of talking about in Chris um, and mm. Tori, uh, because at one part, like Curtis f- slips on the fish yeah. during that fight scene. And like typically that would have been like a funny thing, but it was actually like a very serious. Mm-hmm. But so, Connor, you brought up like one of the the biggest fight scenes. Um, and so. This revolution, Curtis's revolution, was supposed to end at this point with 74% of them all dead. But I was wondering, like, were there any other scenes other than, like, fight scenes for you that, like, really stood out? Because, like, Tori mentioned this before. I feel like this movie is really visual. Mm -hmm. And so, like, there were a lot of scenes that I honestly could talk about forever. I mean, I feel bad because I saw it once in theaters, like, when it first came out, and I haven't seen it since. So, like... I re- remember that it stuck with me a lot, but I have a hard time remembering like specifics of certain scenes because I feel like everyone else has seen it a little bit more recently, right? Yeah. I'll say for me the uh, the cannibal scene or the explanation mm-hmm. of all that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, boy, that you know that's a real like dramatic breaking point for the film. I mean, it's obviously an action film. It obviously has a lot to say um, about class structure and struggle, but when it gets to that point. Um, I think it's a film that is more a film about class struggle and hierarchy than it is dystopian up until that scene, because then it, it up until then, it's very much, you know, the built in understanding that um, the lower ranks are, are trying to uh, to reseize autonomy from uh, from like oppressive forces that are further down the train. Uh, but that one moment where it really breaks down the horror and desperation of the situation in the latter half of the train throughout its history, throughout the revolts and throughout the fact that it has resulted in outright cannibalism because of denied or, uh, or insufficient resources. Um, and you see, I, I, Chris Evans plays it great. He does a really good job of conveying in his retelling of these horrors. Like, I'm so glad they don't, it's not a flashback Mm -hmm. that you don't see any of this stuff. You just get to watch Chris Evans's, emotional reaction to recalling it out loud which like you can tell is like something the character hasn't said out loud to themselves in ages and it just feels so strained and emotional and it really frames the film um as both a really thoughtful observance of uh, class hierarchy and struggle but also um at that point more than any other point it reminds me that this is this is a movie about extreme desperation um and that scene, I think, is great. That, that's the one that really lasted with me, with uh, Chris Evans, of course, revealing that he's tried different kinds of people. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, and to his, like, like sobbing confession that infants taste the best mm-hmm. and just how extreme that scenario mm-hmm. is and how, how well it's conveyed without a flashback, I think, is, is really great. 
Yeah, and there aren't like a million cuts. It's just like sort of slow zoom it's, in. Yeah, just him. It's just him, which is a really smart move. Mm-hmm. Because then it becomes, uh, I don't know, just a focus on uh, the severity of that situation through one character's experience. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I wasn't going to be unbiased about this, but I feel like you really can understand like the range of Chris Evans' acting in this movie. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, he gets like typecasted, which is, you know, it's how he makes his money, right? But it's also like a shame because he's talented. And I yeah. think that this is like a really great opportunity for him. I would say I wouldn't look to this movie for like character development. I'm not saying that Chris Evans' character doesn't go through important dis- like moments of de- like decisive like decisive moments, transformation, all this stuff. But I think also drawing on having seen Okja and like how this director likes to craft a tale, it seems like similarities I see in Snowpiercer and Okja are these a lot of these characters that seem not one-dimensional, but serve a particular role and function in the larger narrative or the larger allegory. Like, Tilda's performance is, like, really something else. (laughs) But it's sort of over the top. In Initially, I was sort of like, is this... There's something about that this, this doesn't, like, sit right with me and it seems like every actor is trying to or like like a performer like Tilda Swinton is trying to like overact this role. I found the same thing in Okja like Jake Gyllenhaal plays this like naturalist who like ends up being evil and like he just like overdoes it or like it, it's just too much. But I think like within the tones of these movies where we're okay, okay with not getting explanations about how are people moving between train cars and like what do all of these scenes mean? I think I ultimately was okay with not knowing a whole lot about where like multiple facets of these different characters like Chris Evans, like Tilda Swinton. And like even we don't get much about any of his Chris Evans crew, like really in right. Like sitting with them, like as mm-hmm. as characters and as people. Yeah. But I think yeah. I was ultimately okay with that. That's cool. Yeah, I think that this movie represents like like moments of emotion, and so I think like my favorite scene is actually at the very beginning, like what sparks the revolution, which is um, you know they're all bringing these barrels, they're gonna like barrel through, and then they do like a an impromptu check like uh, see how many people that are there and they're like okay we're just gonna go but one way to figure that out is figuring out if they have bullets and so like you find Curtis is like this incredible like he's so observant and he's so like this tactician and strategic and he like he goes right up to the guy with the gun and he like points the gun to his face and pulls the trigger himself and it's like the music that's playing at that moment and that happening and then um, Jamie Bell's character just being like um, they've got no bullets, and you hear like the ter- the phrase "bullets are extinct," which is kind of funny to think about. It's just like amazing, and I loved it a lot. I just wish that moment wasn't undercut by the twist of like bullets are a thing because they mow down everybody with submachine guns later on, and I think that's such a powerful moment that for me felt like it was undercut. But they're like, oh, Ed Harris, he just had a million bullets all along. And this was like all orchestrated. I don't know. I just wish like I just felt like that undercut the powerfulness of that scene. But but then you go back and because you find out because of the twist, right? This revolution was supposed to go up into a point. Mm-hmm. Once it was going further than anyone wanted to, that's when they actually brought out the bullets. And you're like, wow, this was mm-hmm. a bigger ruse than we all thought it was. But I see your point. Mm-hmm. I do. Um. Well, I think that was a good discussion about Snowpiercer. Anything else anybody wants to say about the movie? Snowpiercer 2. <laughs> That's when I kept searching it. It's like this, it's, <laughs> as you're typing in Snowpiercer, Snowpiercer 2 keeps being like the second thing that pops up on like Google search and I was like is that like a thing that's a, like they've talked about? I don't know. I don't but know. yeah. Don't know how. They yeah. blow yeah. up the train. I know, I'm just like I don't know where you go from there, but sure. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you maybe there's more life living on earth and we were led to believe Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's the adventure of the polar bear, the father and his daughter. Which, like, I'm, now that I'm thinking about it, when you brought up the trailer and you said it's all about perspective, it really is all about perspective because you get only what's happening on the train. Like, really, what, like, what's happening outside? We have no idea. Chris Evans has taken axe to our <laughs> life perception. Yeah. We are part of the problem. Yeah, I'll say that, like, this That's movie true. is is great for a lot of reasons. Um, okay. Well, thanks everybody for a really great discussion about Snowpiercer. I hope you folks enjoyed it. Um, we're going to take a quick break and be back with our whiteboard question. So here we are back for the whiteboard <laughs> question to wrap out our cold movie month. Uh, so because we talked about Snowpiercer and was this post-apocalyptic movie, my question for you is just like in Snowpiercer where they celebrated the holiday, they celebrated New Year's for a hot second. Um, if we were to live in a post-apocalyptic world whatever that would look like do you think that you would still find time for the holidays and if so what would they look like any holiday or like any holiday the... yeah tell me what which one you would celebrate and why and what would it look like hmm. i would celebrate arbor day <laughs> yes because yes. we will have destroyed the environment it will all be ruined no no other holidays will matter because we have ruined the livable landscape and uh, it will be the one opportunity for us to sit around and say, hey, remember trees? Remember before everything was ruined? Wow. So Arbor Day. But my question <laughs> that is. That got like too real. That's so real. <laughs> no, that's so, that's so real. But my question is, so does it matter if it's like on actual Arbor Day? Because I have no idea when that is. Or can it just be one day where you recognize trees are important? Or, or Earth Day. Earth Day. Earth Day. Or yeah. Earth day. Yeah. As Michael Scott says, Halloween is the day we honor monsters. <laughs> <laughs> I would miss Halloween, but, mm. you know, but like, Earth Day. Like, the world might be a little bit like Halloween at that point. Well, that's what I, that's immediately what I was thinking, was, like, I think in general, for some reason, like, I, I know it shouldn't matter, but those dates matter. Like, I remember they were petitioning to have, like, Halloween change to, like, a Saturday or something like that, like, a Saturday in, like, October. Because, like, consistent year yeah. to year. And I was like, no, shut the fuck up. It's the 31st. Yeah, <laughs> you sit down. But, like, I don't know why that matters so much, but it does. No, it's like you celebrate Halloween on a Wednesday. Like, yeah. you're going to do it. Yeah, like, it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> it is Halloween. There's a reason why it's the last day of yeah. October. It's, unfortunately, we don't get it off, but whatever, this whole other fucking thing. But yes, yeah. like, I feel like every day would kind of, any holiday I would celebrate would be a, like, a Halloween variation on that holiday because, like, everything's, like, you know, a mess, I'm assuming. Because um, I want to say, like, those things wouldn't matter, but then at the end of the day, a lot of times those, like, comforts, like, and, mm -hmm. like, nostalgia things, like, are the things you get comfort in those, like, really horrible situations. That's what so. keeps us human. Exactly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true. You know? So, like, you know, even if you're like, oh, that doesn't matter, like, it probably kind of does just for, like, you know, getting by. Um but, yeah, I mean, of course I would still celebrate Halloween because it's my favorite holiday. And I would, you know, probably be dressed in, like, other people's bloods or something, like, a lot, depending on what kind of post-apocalyptic world we're in. <laughs> um, and I was like, Christmas, too, you could just, like, hang, like, skulls of your enemies on your Christmas tree or something. Like, you know, everything be a little creepier, and I'm actually kind of okay with that. I'm imagining the uh, Rick and Morty episode, Rick Mancing the Stone, where uh, they go to the Mad Max world. <laughs> <laughs> and Summer just, like, tries to live this normal life with this, like, Mad Max mm -hmm. villain type of character. Yep. That's what I'm mm -hmm. imagining. Yeah, basically. I just want to say that moving Halloween to a different date feels, like, super culturally insensitive, so I'm like... Because, hey, like... 
there are cultures who celebrate that day for a reason and the day after for a reason. So I'm glad that hasn't happened. Yeah, agreed. Um, Christine Snowpiercer reminded me so much of Station Eleven. <gasps> Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, so if only they could see Christine's <laughs> hand motions <laughs> and face. So Her legs. Station Eleven is a really great book. I've that heard I, good things. Yeah, so it's I, worth reading. Yep, it's okay. worth reading. I think that it takes about eighty pages to really get in okay. and like get moving. But once you get moving, you're like, holy shit. That's good to know. The end is a little anticlimactic. However, that one of the scariest fucking scenes I've ever read is in that book. Really. Yeah, I don't oh. want to spoil it. It's okay. the plane scene. Oh yeah, the uh, abandoned plane. Yeah, the, that they never <laughs> have. Yeah, I want to read it now. You're right. You you just, just said you didn't just... want to explore. Oh, I was like, oh, you mean the scene in which I will tell you every single detail. <laughs> Stop. I'm so happy you brought up Station Eleven because that movie is all about what are the traditions that people carry with them mm. in uh, like a post-apocalyptic world. In the hmm. book, the earth has been ravaged by like a really, uh, the disease. Crazy disease. W- wiped yeah. out most of the population. Wow. And t- it's like this band of um, of actors who put on uh, Shakespeare plays and they travel from town to town and um, like just yeah put on performances uh. and also try to survive <laughs> and it's like that balance and i i was so happy you brought that up because it uh, really connects to this idea of like the idea of like whatever is is like cl- valuable whether it's like a text or it's a tradition mm-hmm. or it's like some like a song or something um my mom used to like threaten. She's like, "You better memorize this poem because in the apocalypse, there's no gonna be any text, so you won't be able to refer to it." Wait, that was, was like, the thing your parents said to you? She was like, "Really?" Do they like doomsday? She was like, "No." She's like, "You need to memorize more things because you won't be able to like read them when the world ends." I'm like, "Okay, all right, mom." Thanks, mom. <laughs> well, what is it? <laughs> you go. <laughs> oh, I don't fucking know. <laughs> No, this was a general oh. statement she made to me. Oh, like, you need okay. to memorize more poems. But what was have you poem? memorized? The irony is that all that you memorize is impending doom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, basically. Shit. You know, it's so strange, like, the things parents and teachers make you memorize. Like, I had a, a teacher in high school who did 11th grade English. She made us all memorize the prologue to the Canterbury Tales in Middle English. When oh, the suit of suit, the drought of moth has perfect through the root of. One that a brill with the sure of the drought of moth has perfect through the root and buried every vein in sweet liquor. Of which we're doing, Jenny's the flag. What the fuck? So many times. Sam and I will know. <laughs> <laughs> that Holy fuck, what was that? I was finding a soulmate. They made soul you learn that? Friend. I was if finding a soulmate and a friend right there. If only you could see the faces that myself, Dave, and Tori were making. Wow. <laughs> Pure confusion. Wow. In my head, I was like, they made me memorize like an Edgar Allan Poe poem. A preamble. <laughs> that is way different than that thing. <laughs> We also had to memorize other things, but that's the only thing I remember. Oh my god! Wow! All the things you want to stick in your brain? Yeah. No, nope, will never. <laughs> that fucking prologue wow. to the Canterbury Tales. Jesus Christ! Have you heard of the play, uh, Mr. Burns, a post-electric play? No. Uh, it's by Anne Washburn. She's a fantastic British playwright, and the play opens with a group of people around a campfire talking about a Simpsons episode. It's a Sideshow Bob episode, um, and then you just like, oh, it's people camping, and then they uh, people like walk up and they draw guns out. And then slowly you learn that this is an apocalypse. And then, so that's act one. Act two is them, like, um, putting this troupe together to do Simpsons episodes as plays. And different theaters have different rights to different episodes that they, like, trade amongst each other and scripts and whatnot. And he has a better script. He has a worse script. Um, so it's, yeah, very similar. <laughs> someone line has like, season, like, seven and someone has season, like, 25. Exactly. <laughs> and, Poor bastards. And that's a great, like, in Station Eleven, they perform Shakespeare plays, but there's also this idea that there are entire, like, that uh, a graphic novel plays a huge part mm-hmm. in the story and that it doesn't necessarily elevate, sha- you know, everyone, like, elevates mm-hmm. Shakespeare plays. It's like, oh, everyone's got to do this Shakespeare canon. But really, it's arbitrary. It's what gets passed down and like as as texts and really it sounds it seems like from this story the the graphic novel and the comic 
is like plays an equal, if not more important role in as a story than like a Shakespeare play. Yeah, that they fuck put you, on. Shakespeare. Exactly. So it's like what hey, could ultimately. Hey. Oh I mean, man, we took a stand on that. I guess. <laughs> so like in in the end times, like it's it might be the like Simpsons episodes or like a graphic novel that's going to be this like really really important text that everybody wants to be able to perform and like inhabit the character. Yeah. Anyhow. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, that's why poor question took a turn. It certainly did, but that's great. Um, anyone else who didn't go? Who didn't answer? Connor? Uh, Pi Day, 3.414. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, Krampus Knocked. Krampus Night, because we were just talking about, I just saw a video oh. about like people celebrating I think you just the day of Krampus. To say it again. Krampus. It's just a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Um, it's either bow, that or gritty. Bow down before the altar of Krampus, our dark lord and savior, because we were talking about what is going to get us through times without text, times without uh, tradition, and that is uh, Krampus. Yeah. Boom. Hmm. Gritty has his own day. True. Um, I think for my answer is that I probably lose all track of time. It would be meaningless to me because that's just how I am. But I would celebrate the changing of the seasons. They would become sort of like my holidays. I also love this question. You're, you end up celebrating Halloween in like July because <laughs> you just have like no idea yep. when time is. I'm like, is. oh, it's kind of cold now. The leaves are different colors. Hey. Right. And then I guess it depends what like, your apocalypse, the is, apocalypse like. is looks like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is your If it's apocalypse? nuclear, everything's brown. Well, if it's nuclear, I'm dead. I'm and I love this bless. question makes us assume that we will all survive, <laughs> you know, years. Because <laughs> I won't last probably a week. I give myself seven days. Cut to the horror deaths we gave each one of us. Oh, yeah, <laughs> right. 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 Oh, right. true. Here we go. It all comes back. <laughs> I don't remember even what I said in that episode. <laughs> so we got Arbor Day, Changing of the Seasons, Krampus Knocked, Halloween. Word. Did you say uh, Festivus. Just something so quickly. The rest of us. It just it just derailed so quickly. No, I like Festivus. I don't know. Just so yeah, something. Christine that we... just threw out like a ton of like super deep shit, and then she was like Festivus. And there were some Canterbury Tales. Oh, God. oh okay. Well, anything else anyone wants to say about this episode? The whiteboard question. Anything people want to promote? Tori? <laughs> First there's chill, then there's kill. Um, yes, so still still doing the chill and kill horror nights. Um, I don't know if it... Yeah, this will get posted, I guess, before it happens. But January, we're doing Mandy, which I'm very, very excited about. So crazy Nick Cage movie that came out this year. So um, it seems like it might be a very crowded night based on the response that I've gotten on the event, which is pretty exciting. So, yeah. So get there early. Come and see, you know, craze Nick Cage. Cool. And also follow us on our social medias, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. That's it. Yeah. Subscribe, rate, review. Just, like, let us know how we're doing. What do you like? What do you hate? Just tell us. We want to know. Just talk to us. Just, yeah. Do you want more Canterbury Tales recited in Middle English? Well, I certainly don't, so <laughs> fuck you if you do. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> on that note, bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>